evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half-Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman 1,800 miles southeast of me is none other than the very warm, the very sticky, very brilliant Mr. Kip Fisher. And I ask you, for the 152nd time this September 24, 2016, Mr. Fisher, how are you this evening? Well, I don't know that I've ever been called the very warm and very sticky guy, but I guess it's apropos <laughs> tonight. Well, you uh, you did tell me that you had the top two buttons of your shirt buttoned and none of the rest. So. <laughs> no, no they're, all, they're all buttoned tonight. Sure, sure. For the moment. I can see the beads of sweat. It's stupid hot. You think well, if it rains at night, it should at least cool it off a little bit. You should uh, like put your feet in a bucket of cold water and put a fan on yourself. Yeah, if I had any cold water. <laughs> well, even even seventy five degree water with some uh, air blown across it would feel mighty nice. That's probably true. Or get yourself a a, a hillbilly air conditioner and get uh, um. Ice, salt, water, and a fan. Yeah, I've seen those and have actually contemplated them. <laughs> there's there's a another one that you take a thin copper tubing, you know, quarter inch or so copper tubing, and spin it into a somewhat tight but not touching spiral. Uh-huh. And attach that across the face of a fan and pipe it from uh, ice water tubing so the fan is blowing across the cold tubing to blow cooler air that is nearly identical to a typical air conditioner except instead of pushing ice water through it it's pushing some sort of a liquid that goes through a phase change to uh to capture that off-put energy during that process but otherwise it's uh it's darn near the same thing man yeah well, you uh, you have a task for next week since you're coming up on the hottest time of the year. Mm-hmm. That oh, no. which no one believes. Yeah, that, that which no one believes. Although it does make sense, though, what you said, that uh, the water, the Atlantic is the warmest. You know, it's gone through all the warm months. It's heated up. The air has gone through all the warm months and heated up. The land. What's your soil temperature there now? I mean, is your soil temperature 75? How in the world am I supposed to know that? Well, I, it's kind of just something I thought everybody knew. We're 52 <laughs> degrees around here. <laughs> I've never known that at any point in my life for any location I was ever at, what the soil temperature is. What? Your Why would static I soil temperature? That? No. Wow. All right. All right. Well, you're crazy. Yeah. Because it's it comes up pretty frequently. That's a big need in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's just one of those things. I assume people know about where they live. Uh, no. Never mind. He's Are there a, basements in the Dominican? Uh, well, I mean, I've been in parking garages that are below ground level, but not typically in a house. No. Mm. Yeah. That. Uh, that's one surefire way to get close to feeling like you know what it is. So, yeah, and there's no reason I suppose you couldn't do it in a place like Santiago. We're, you know, several hundred feet above sea level. But I, I don't know of any houses that have basements. 
Hmm. Well, we uh, we've been broadcasting here for a little bit, and I just got the first puff that was enjoyable off this cigar of the week. What uh, you, you want to talk about it, or you still want to do some intros? Yeah, hang on just a second. I was answering a question in the chat room. Oh, sorry. Well, I can uh, I can preface your explanation by saying that uh, tonight Kip has very graciously shared the um, Crown Heads, the uh, Angel's Anvil from 2014. This was the TAA release. Um, and it is not a cigar that prior to you sharing it had I ever had before. Yeah, um, and we'll in not next show, but the one after we'll be smoking the twenty fifteen version of this. So I I believe that at one point earlier this year, might have even been the, the end of last year, now that I think about it, um, we had discussed smoking this cigar. And so I uh did what I normally do and try to smoke a version of uh of it before we record and so i had my first and only other example of this i bet 10 months ago last november or something uh have very little memory of uh uh, of specifics on it so i feel slightly mm, uninformed tonight um i do obviously uh, I do obviously have experience with some crowned heads products. Crowned heads products. Excuse me, that's a little awkward to say. Um, and you know things like an Ecuadorian Havana wrapper that are over Nicaraguan filler is relatively common. So I don't feel incredibly. Uh, um, uh, oh, I don't know. Newly introduced. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But at the same time, specifics are uh, lacking for my history here. Yeah, this blend sounds a lot like the uh, Unbanded that fooled the both of us last show, which was a similar blend from the same factory. You know, there are published photos of you opening boxes of those cigars on the internet, so I'd say you've got to take it on the chin a little more. Oh, Different, very different. Very, very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all the same. (laughs) Yeah, that that extra inch that was cut off of it uh, made a huge difference. Uh, there's a couple of rings different, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we are smoking the uh, 2014 Angel's Anvil. I think uh, you mentioned the blend, Ecuador and Havana over uh, Nicaraguan binder and filler. Produced four crowned heads by E.P. Carrillo at the La Alianza factory uh, here in Santiago, not too far from where I sit at the moment. Uh, these came out. Uh, this particular edition was the 2014 edition. They ran about 1050 a stick, more or less, uh, a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on where you're at. And if I'm remembering right, uh, there were only about 20,000 of them made. I think they made a thousand boxes total. And uh, again, they were a TAA offering, so you had to get them from a tobacconist association, tobacconist, which are not especially plentiful. I, I think there's you know, 75 or 80 to that association so it's not like they were on every corner uh, but they weren't too hard to come by and I still when I was in the states this summer saw the 2015s on shelves so some of those still around even. really man oh man I haven't seen the 2015s in a while the 14s seemed like they were on the shelf more than the 15s 
Now, granted, there I think there was one shop that I was in that had them, but still. Yeah, yeah, I still saw the uh, 2015s in Tampa when I was there. Huh. Well, look at that. Okay. Well, I uh, I remember enjoying this cigar, but remember it not standing out, and thus that's the reason why I think I have no uh, specific memories at this point. Um, I I don't think that. Um, I don't think that there were any surprises, and I'm not expecting any. But was there any specific background on this that they had given as to what this blend was representing? Why it's a different front mark? Um, you know what it was. What it was specifically uh, blended as a TAA release for? No, n- nothing outside of it being that run. And TAA and that 2014 was like the year of special releases for Crown Heads. They had a dozen or more special releases. That was also the first year of the Las Calaveras and you know myriad other things they put out. There was a story behind it, a marketing story, and some correlation to a, a, a mythos of an, a wingless angel that you know talked somebody, a blacksmith, into helping him forge some wings and whatnot that somehow corresponded to Huber's time in the industry. But I don't recall all the finer points of that because despite the fact that I admit marketing and packaging will suck me into buying a cigar the first time every time, I don't <laughs> tend to, to hold on to all the details for very long. Hmm. Well, I uh, Crown Heads is, is one of those companies that I got to say, I, I tended to become turned off in 2014. I'm sure that you can go back and listen to the old uh, half-assed recordings from that year and, and get my feelings about just the plethora of releases that were coming out from them. Um, but like the cigar last week, the the Four Kicks is a good stick. It's a, it's a great stick, actually. I, I really like them, um, though I don't have a ton of experience. I have had a few of their others. They're, uh, what is it, the Headley Grange? They got the yeah. Headley range. Um, I like that. Don't like it as much as the four kicks, but um, it seems like uh, it seems like they stick kind of to winning blends, as this is a, an indication of, or maybe not winning, well-established blend groups. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, I, I for whatever reason, I do this with a number of makers, but it seems to be uh, a major point for me with crowned heads. I do fall into uh, an established preference or pattern with Vitolas. And it's the Corona Gorda and the Four Kicks. It's the OBS and the Jericho Hill. And, and those are really the only two lines that I would frequently reach for. Um, I loved the Las Calaveras in 2014. Didn't care for 2015. Uh, I smoked that latest one this summer. And it was supposed to be a, a spinoff, you know, closer very, very close or identical to the 2014. I thought it was good. It didn't seem to uh, stand me on my head the way the 2014 did, but maybe it just changed. It's been a couple of years. But I do reach for a few of them every once in a while. Well, I I think that you could probably look at uh, quite a few manufacturers and find Ecuadorian over Nicaraguan and uh, typically have a blend that's going to appeal to many 
current uh, regular smokers. So, yeah, I think that uh, we'll find out that this one will probably be in line uh, with those opinions and things that you've had good success with and and uh, things that hopefully we will see more to come. Yeah, it's this Ecuadorian over Nicaraguan is kind of a bread and butter blend. I mean, it's something that's maybe not going to be the be all end all desert island stick for very many people, but it's going to be something that most folks could find something enjoyable in. Well, yeah, I, I mean, if you're somebody who has smoked uh, um, Macanudo. Prince Phillips or Prince Phillips. Yeah, I think that's one of those, you know, just a, a typical Macanudo gold or a Macanudo uh, basic piece of garbage cigar for all your life. And then all of a sudden you switch <laughs> over to Nicaraguan with Ecuadorian, you're going to, you're going to have your world rocked, but there's so many other examples that I don't think you need to just go with crown heads or tatuaje or any number of other things from my father or Lalianza. Well, that's, all of a sudden harder for me to pronounce than it should have been. Aliyah. Um, you know, lots of guys have it. Lots of guys do well with it. So, yeah. Well, you, what, uh, I, I am partially into this. I'm having some minor burn issues. I don't think I ever really got her started properly, but what are you getting on the, uh, on the start here? Well, it's a, it's a, doesn't have a ton of tip. It's not like, uh, you know, crown heads has had my father make a number of their cigars. This is not one, but it doesn't have that kind of spice, but it does have a, a little bit of a tingle through the nose. Some of that uh, bright baking spice kind of thing for me, uh, not just a ton of sweetness, but there's some there. I'm not getting any of the, the things you might normally associate with sweetness, even not, not cocoa or anything like that. It's that, um, uh, allspice, but not the allspice you put in your food. It's the allspice, the, the wood from the plant that they burn to make jerk chicken in, in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. It's that mm-hmm. kind of aroma through the nose more so than the sweetened allspice kind of flavoring you might put in apple cider or pumpkin pie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I can't quite say that I'm getting a spiciness to this in 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 regard to that a, a sweet spicy aroma type flavor. Um, I'm getting just a little bit of a citrus sweetness. Um, there's some brown sugar in here, but not a typical kind of crisp brown sugar that you that I'll talk about later on. And I actually just wrote into the notes about a cigar that I smoked this week. Um, it's a little bit more of a rich brown sugar. Maybe if like, I don't know you, uh, you melt brown sugar and it just kind of has that good hearty, um, uh, like caramel flavor, but without the butter, mm-hmm. there's that uh, a little bit to it that, uh, I'm enjoying. And I was getting a little bit of charry Oak. Eh, I shouldn't just specify as Oak, like a charry hardwood type flavor that, that really, Maybe it's where you're going with uh, the idea of the allspice, but I certainly don't have that direct uh, memory to fall back on to to uh, say for sure. But it just is a little bit like um, you're putting a light smoke on a meat, but it's intentional. 
that's very light in here. It doesn't come across heavy-handed at all. It's just a contributing flavor or a contributing factor, maybe even better. Yeah, it's a uh, a cherry or apple kind of smoke rather than oak or hickory. Well, I'll take your word for it. I definitely can say that oak or hickory are a lot harder and heavier. Maybe that's what you're implying, but yeah, yeah, you use. Apple, cherry, alder to smoke fish. Use hickory for pork or beef. And same for oak. Oak is a little more universal, but they are definitely heavier and put more of an influence. That is just too much for lighter things like poultry or fish. Hmm. Somehow we've ended up in smoking meat again. That's all right. You know, that's... uh... It's par for the course. You know, some guys who would have a, a cigar podcast might talk about sports. We talk <laughs> about horticulture and smoking meats. So, <laughs> if our recent shows are any bit of an indication. Well, happily in the sports realm, my Tennessee team finally got the monkey off their back and broke an 11-year losing streak to Florida today. Is that what that hat is behind you? Is that some college no. football? No, this is the Aguilas, the local Dominican baseball team. Baseball here. team, yeah. Yeah, we um, actually, they, hang on, got a stinking motorcycle. No problem. Well, I'll tell you what, if you are holding back the motorcycle, I will take this moment. There was a minor uh, uh, comment in the chat room that I'm going to take advantage of and show oh. <coughs> my <laughs> exhaust fan. There is... Uh, I'm going to tilt my, some of my lighting here for the studio. You can see cedar above and below my exhaust fan in the wall, and I hang, that is projected off the wall, that cedar, um, an inch inch and a quarter. It's five-quarter cedar. And I put a, uh, a framed picture, 24 by 36 picture over that, and it draws the smoke in around uh, the perimeter of that frame and right on into the exhaust fan. But that picture is off the wall, so. Right now, you just see the big old hole sucking all the smoke out of my room. Cool. So, if you're not in the chat room, you will have no idea why I'm bringing that up. But somebody <laughs> uh, somebody asked a question in reference to it. So, I'm actually a little excited about the Aguilas. They the season starts up October 31st. It's a winter league, and a lot of the uh, major league players come down here and play in the winter leagues. And there's only half a dozen teams or so. And, you can go to the games here for a couple hundred pesos, you know, for less than five bucks and get good seats in a beautiful stadium and all the hot dogs you want for a buck a piece. Mm. Good hot dogs too. And they'll pile up three pounds of stuff on one if you want it. <laughs> uh, Dominican ball, man. Dominican winter ball. It's uh man. Oh, I, uh, if I ever get down to see you like a good friend should, I've got to go to some of those games. That's been a dream of mine forever. Yep. You got to come at a weird time, though. The season starts this year, the last day of October, and it only goes through third week of December. So it's a very short season. That's short. If um, if your team you're following makes the playoffs, they play into January. But it's not really playoffs. It's a tournament. There's six teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, really. They uh, uh, they make it unfortunate to uh, come down to hit both that and cigar uh, mm-hmm. events being closed in January for the vast majority of things. They do, and and 
nearly a hundred percent of the factories closed from mid December to mid January. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this dang near the whole country shuts down for that time. Well, let's see. Tonight we uh, we don't have a whole heck of a lot going on. There's some really good information. Um, I shouldn't say really good information. It's all information that's been out there. But there is uh, a really good article that's been put together by one of the uh, leading cigar blogs that we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Not necessarily Bogart information, but uh, discuss opinions, reactions, and uh, comments about an editorial. We hope everybody has an opportunity to check out. Uh, Some other news stories, uh, a couple cigars we smoked, and uh, I'm sure the regular shenanigans and uh, rum. Hey, we missed Talk Like a Pirate Day this past week. So uh, maybe I'll have to bust a little bit of that out. So stick around. You might hear me make a fool of myself. Might. Yeah, well, you might for another reason. (laughs) Well, there's not just a whole ton of news outside of legislative stuff, which we've all talked about and heard about. And all, all of us that pay attention to cigar blogs and media of various kinds anyway, Honestly, it doesn't seem like it gets much further than that sometimes. The internet community seems big, but even in the States, walking into shops, and I'm still dumbfounded. Like, look, the experience you had, that's not, it's not rare or uncommon that people are completely uninformed. And I can just see the train at the end of the tunnel that's going to plow over some of these guys there because they're not going to be because they don't know about them. Yeah, I... Uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but um, I, I have a feeling that uh, we'll be discussing both a very broad approach to uh, how the different aspects of the cigar industry are taking this uh, in stride and also focus in a little bit more on uh, pricing or financial side of things that perhaps we've not hit as hard and uh, Half Wheel uh, has some good good thoughts on. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting well, conversation, I think. Before we do that, let me ask a question about this cigar. How, what's your draw like on yours? Uh, splendid. Absolutely perfect. I took off maybe a sixteenth of an inch just into the shoulder, um, got through the binder and opened up just a little bit of the filler, and it is perfect. Yeah, that... Same here. It looks split, but it's not the vein. Um, but mine is really, really open. Uh, wildly open. Like it seems like I'm smoking really fast. Or like it's being consumed really fast. I don't feel like I'm smoking it fast. And is it giving you a lot of smoke as well? Yeah, it does seem to be. I mean, not anything more than normal, but it's not starved for smoke. Hmm. I didn't know if maybe the uh, the wrapper issues that we both coincidentally experienced um, were contributing to uh, you pulling more air through. I, I don't know. It just seems like I have smoked an inordinate amount of this cigar already and like 20 minutes into it and I'm going at like triple speed for Norm. Because I don't think we said these are seven and an eighth by 50. Thanks for the measurement. No, you know what? I think you're right. I no, 49. 
I don't think we gave any of the particulars okay. on that. We talked blend, and that was it. So, like, five and a half inches. I've smoked an inch and a half of this. Holy and, crap. And it's not hot. It's not hashy or burning. It's just going insanely fast. I'm at six and a quarter, and I lit up uh, 25 minutes ago. Yeah, probably 10 till I lit up. Yeah, it's about the same here. Yeah, you definitely are further in. There's no doubt about that. Holy cow. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Or your specific example. I mean... Yeah. Actually, I talked about this cigar with a friend of mine, with Nick, uh, who lives here a few streets over now. Um, We were hanging out this afternoon, watching football and smoking cigars and eating chili. (laughs) But... uh, we talked about this cigar because I really, really liked him when they came out and told him he needed to try him. And he said he only tried one and he, he would run over to the shop on his lunch hour and grabbed it and didn't have enough time to properly smoke it and said he, he overdid it and, and kind of charred the cigar and didn't, didn't have a good experience, but he was blaming his timing, not the cigar that he, said he wished he had had time to be able to actually smoke it properly and never got back around to it. Mm. But this one's not not responding negatively at all. It's just going really fast. Well, I, I wouldn't doubt uh, it, it, nothing negative meant by this, but I wouldn't doubt if you see a premature end to your smoking experience based on what you're saying. You might not be uh, losing it now, but that thing's seven <laughs> inches long was seven inches long I, I, my guess is that uh, there's enough of it that it's not building up those negative flavors in the part that you're combusting yet yeah premature immolation that's a good way of putting it <laughs> <laughs> well we got it like we said we don't have just a whole ton of things to kick around um, but there were a few and if you follow cigar coop uh, the guy's been nailing these down left and right. The stories on the, um, I'm having trouble remembering and calling them the, um, the, like the covert cigar releases is what I called them in the notes. But um, in the chat room, I think he can chime in and tell me what he's calling the, the secret under the radar cigars that are shipped, not so secret, but they're shipping or have shipped to beat the deadline in some limited fashion that will subsequently national scale. But, uh, you know, there's been a slew of these, and you can check out CigarCoop.com, uh, Cigar-Coop.com to uh, get those scoops because he's, he's doing a good job of tracking those down or, or they're making their way to him. But uh, anyway, there's been a few that have come down the pike that kind of caught my attention. And one in particular, uh, I guess it's been a week and a half or so ago now, was the uh, Drew Estate Dominicana. And for no reason except it's outside of the Drew Estate normal modus operandi where they're, you know, typically their cigars under that brand have come out of Nicaragua and um, uh, is reportedly coming from the Dominican Republic. There's not just a whole lot of detail. It it, it came to Atlantic Cigar. If you're on their mailing list, you saw this in an email uh, a week and a half or so ago. And um, the only thing really that it talked about and that they disclosed were there was three wrapper va- variations, which is uh, 
a Maduro or Rosado and a shade, which I will presume to be Connecticut shade, but wouldn't swear to it uh, until I see something definitive. Um, but they uh, were apparently made here in the Dominican Republic rather than in Drew Estates factory in Nicaragua. And I'm not sure exactly why they chose to branch out or include this under the Drew Estate name outside of the fact that it's, it is a cigar. It's not, it's not an acid and it's not maybe something that would typically be associated with their parent company now uh, who had, do have operations here in Santiago. So maybe they just really speculation. Maybe they just chose to put it under Drew Estate's name because it is a little bit more of a premium offering than you would typically associate with Swisher or whatever. Um, but it caught my interest just because it was under the name and from a different source. And I don't believe they've disclosed specifically what factory it is, but I was here to have big operations. And um, it's going to be in a, a variety of um, Vitolas amongst the three blends. Actually, look like a little bit different setup for each one of them. And range in price from seven to nine bucks, more or less, seven and a quarter to nine ish, uh, right around that. So, I don't know, we'll see uh, what, what maybe get a little more detail down the road. Sounded like there may not be any more anytime soon. Like this was just to get it in the marketplace and sold and officially shipped by the deadline. And then maybe there'll be more, maybe there won't. I don't know. But if there are, it's kind of a something, it, like I said, for no other reason than it's something outside their normal forte, it caught my attention. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, <clears throat> I've i had a, a question about some of these releases um, that maybe I haven't been judicial enough in searching for the answer on, but um, I'm wondering if you can, if you can seek out information on these things or if a lot of companies are going to be a little more tight lipped than normal, you know, I mean, could you, could you reach out and ask them the standard questions of the, the, the standard questions to the answers that you'd like about a new release across the board? The, you know what I mean? At the, yeah. At the show, there were people that talked a lot and there were people that didn't talk at all and didn't want to answer questions and whatever. And now these things are showing up that some of them weren't even, certainly weren't displayed and weren't really even talked about at the show. I think it was kind of, Hey, I have this really big account. I know they can move these cigars. I just need to get them shipped and Hey, can you buy some of these and get them on by the deadline? And, and then we'll worry about long-term plans later on. So I don't know that most manufacturers are really disclosing too much. And at least until they see if, this is going to be something they do put into the market on a regular basis or a full-time basis. No, I, uh, <clears throat> I think you're right. I just also think that, uh, I don't know. I, I think that it's just a weird, um, unprecedented Avenue for the industry that I haven't really put my finger on, um, what to expect fully. Yeah. And I think we'll see that in the days to come over the next two years. Almost two years. Well, yeah, and uh, not to keep alluding to it, but there are even comments in regard to that uh, or that apply to that in uh, that half-wheel article that we're going to be talking about. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what the, the owners decide, the owners, the manufacturers 
and the brand owners um, decide to uh, maybe be a little honest about and say, not worth it, or, yeah, we're going to stick with that one, you know? I mean, yeah. why go through the trouble of a press release if it's something that uh, in a release such as this in, I don't know, five, uh, six months, let's say, that product has barely even moved and not really been reordered very much. Don't do anything about it. Just kind of a shot in the dark to see if it's worth looking into or releasing or talking about. Yeah, as they evaluate portfolios and see what, what what's feasible anymore. Yeah. I think the days of... You know, five new brands a quarter are gone. I don't think that's that's going to be a thing in the future. Well, I, honestly, good for good for the industry. You know, um, if you're going to find a bit of a silver lining, I don't think we need all these releases. We don't need these releases. People are not smoking more. We're releasing new cigars and essentially killing or or. Um, Oh, what the heck do I want to say? Vampiring. What what is the word? Cannibalizing. Related to cannibalizing. Thank you. Um, vampirizing. Whatever. Uh, cannibalizing these existing blends um, to essentially come out with something else. One, it's incredibly unsustainable financially because you now need to market and release and go through the whole process again for something that really isn't going to draw up additional market share. It's just keeping you fresh. Yeah. In the market. Nobody's, yeah, everybody's swapping fish from everybody else's fishbowl. Right. We're not creating new smokers. We're stealing them from other people temporarily. Yeah, but, until the next guy gets a new cigar out. Yeah. It, nobody's sedentary anymore. There really isn't, I, I don't know if you know any of these guys, but is there the 40-year-old who smokes the same cigar over and over again? I don't know one of those. I know 70-year-olds who do, but that's it. Right. And and I think it's been a vicious cycle for several years, or at least a cycle for several several years. It's kind of the market has driven that behavior for manufacturers, and that behavior is driving newcomers into the market, into that paradigm where, oh, it's me walking into the store. Hey, what's new? What can I try? What's new? Well, we'll probably, you know, if I had to, if I had to uh, put a scattershot hypothesis out there of what to expect, I, I would say that we're going to end somewhere in the middle, and it's going to be in in ten years' time, the majority of smokers will be people who smoke variety, but they smoke consistently the same variety. They have ten cigars that they reach for that uh, a. I won't call myself a collector, but I have a collection that I can reach into whenever I want. I have a, a humidor with 1,500 cigars, and of those 1,500 cigars, 90% of them are going to be the same 10 cigars. You know, That would be my guess is what will be the future of this industry. Right, and as much as I talk about my, my history at different times of being that guy that tries every new different cigar – <clears throat> I still have a small core of things that I regularly reach for or have a you know have a uh, a craving for so to speak and I try one or two of the new things I I I don't even remember the, the you know what it could have been the four kicks the last cigar that 
came out and I smoked and it became an instant addition to regular smokes. And other than that, you know, there's not very many that take a serious foothold in my humidor. It's, it's a handful of standbys. I, you know, if I had to guess, I would have said, uh, um, jamais vu. Yeah. I, I, I really like those <clears throat> when they came out the, uh, when they were called the inception, uh, which I still tend to call them that anyway, but that's another, another story altogether. Yeah. I loved them, but they were, very high on that pricing scale that kept me from having just boxes of them laying around to pull from whenever I wanted. They have dropped that price actually. The Ezra Zion cigars had a, a price decrease this year and a half ago or so now. But when they first came out, they were kind of in that upper echelon of pricing that being an everyday cigar for me anyway. Well, that's uh that's a valid point. Yeah, I guess the four kicks are definitely in a much better position financially. Yeah. Or at the time they came out, I had a say. I had a retailer's license at the time they came out, so they're very inexpensive for me at that time. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. <sighs> well, shall we uh, move on to what was? Uh, Surprising yet shouldn't have been uh, story of the week. I guess it was surprise. The timing was surprising, but, and and it's not something I would have foreseen, but something that when I read the story was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And and Very what much. we're alluding to is is uh, cigar aficionado, cigar coop, half wheel. They've all reported <clears throat> this last week that <clears throat> excuse me, got a motorcycle coming again. Yeah. A number of outlets have reported it now that uh, General Cigar and Michael Giannini have parted ways, um, which was a big surprise. He had been with the company for many, many years. Um, I think even reaching back to El Credito, well, that was included in this time that they quoted 17 years, uh, which was a very long time. I, I did, not, did not know him until 2012. Uh, Bob McDuffie actually introduced me to him uh, when they kind of launched Foundry. He and they, uh, this was, from all appearances, an amicable parting. Both parties had nothing but praise and good things to say about the other. Uh, It's just one of those things, and it was at least in part attributed to what we're talking about with the new regulations, the FDA, and uh, not much detail on that attribution, but we can kind of surmise or at least speculate that a big part of that is because it was to create these non-traditional limited runs, special release, special short blends, those, these kind of non-traditional cigars that may not really be a thing uh, under the new regulations. It's not, not going to be really not going to be profitable to, you know, come up with a run of 10,000 cigars unless you're selling them for some ridiculous price that push uh, to justify the cost of introducing a new line into the market. So, I'm guessing they foresee that there's not going to be much space for that uh, in their in their business in the future, and so I guess they went ahead and decided it was kind of time to. I think that we talked a little bit about. I feel like we talked a little bit about. It couldn't have been Giannini if you know he's been with General or a subsidiary for 17 years, as they said. But 
maybe it was his repositioning that we discussed this on, thinking that it just didn't make sense. But then we postulated that maybe it was because a company like General could position themselves as as the only company who can, or one of the only three companies, let's say, um, who can still put out these new products because they can diversify the cost of um, uh, all these increased charges for the new cigars with their heavy, heavy, heavy success of the old cigars where there's very minimally price increases to be expected. Yeah, with the pre I think we talked about yeah, we very well could have. With the you know the pre two thousand seven cigars are going to have what's likely to be a, a small impact, um, labeling changes and that kind of stuff in comparison to the newer blends, which would be everything under the Foundry name. Uh, although Giannini had moved up the ladder uh, from Foundry to General Proper, uh, I can't remember his exact title, Creative Director of something. Um, similar thing to what he was doing with foundry some of these you know i wonder if um what do i want to say here i wonder if it was his repositioning that we were discussing it for when he moved from foundry higher i I wonder if that was a year ago i don't remember the timing exactly you know foundry is only four years old so Certainly less than that. Hmm. You know, I, I, Coop, I, I might have to uh, ask you to do the heavy lifting here. Tell me what our timeline is with that transition. I think it might have been a year ago. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. We have Coop, Coop on retainer for consulting fee in the chat room. <laughs> hey, Coop, we will cut you in for one third of our income on this uh, <laughs> on this episode. Thank and, you, sir. And since we have turn down every single request and offer for marketing and advertising, that'd be nothing. No, 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 no. Tell him that actually, after he gives us the answer. Actually, there's some costs associated with doing this, so we're, <laughs> we're going to need you to pay us. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, and hey, we're nice guys. We're caught up through this year. You can pay your third of next year. It'll be cool. Uh, uh, I we're saw teasing. That, that Ian just left the conversation for I, at first glance I thought it was William Cooper that left the conversation that would have been perfect <laughs> if he just left the chat room uh, uh, oh well. you know <laughs> the best part about this show is that the two of us make each other laugh and I can imagine every single listener is in their car on their you know on their desktop whatever just completely stone-faced and not even thinking this is the slightest bit funny. That's, that's the best part about it for me. Ah, even on a podcast, I have a terrible sense of humor. I love it. It works. I, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, well, I, 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 I was uh, just going to give a, a final thought on this that I don't really have don't really have anything uh, pressing or shocking to share here, but uh, I, the one question that I want to ask you about is, what is his next move? I don't Theoretically, know. I, does he even have an additional move here? I don't know. I mean, of course, we don't we don't know the details, so it doesn't really pay to speculate too much on that. Although they did have a quote from him uh, near the end of that part. 
And let me open this up. There'll be links to this in the show notes, by the way. He says, a musician knows when to stop playing when they don't have any more songs playing. So presumably he has something in mind, and you know, whether that means there's a non-compete he needs to fulfill and then he's going to do something else or whatever. Who, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what his next step is. It doesn't sound like he plans to just ride off into the sunset though. No. And, and he shouldn't. I mean, he, he's a great mind for the industry. He's had his hands in a lot of very intriguing products over the years. Um, he, uh, I'm sure could, fall on his feet and do very well. Uh, he's not an older guy either. But the problem is, is is he going to go on his own, a la um, uh, Sam Lucia, or is he going to be picked up by someone? Giannini's never really done his own thing that I can recall. So Yeah. It would. I'm just spitballing here. And I'm thinking now that this deadline has passed, and for the next two years, I don't, I don't know that that's really something that's, it's certainly not easily done. I mean, the startup capital be required to fulfill regulations that the FDA doesn't even know what it means to fulfill. Yeah. How are you going to introduce a new product to the market post August the eighth? Who knows what the requirements are, let alone how to meet them. I certainly don't well, expect any approvals, which is what would be necessary to introduce a new line now. We've been uh, six years into the similar. Huh? Well, yes, but no. You you would have to meet approvals, but you don't necessarily. No. How's that work? If he was to put something out right now, he would not have to meet those approvals right now. He would have no. It had to be had to be out by August the eighth, not to have to meet the approvals. If existing products pre August the eighth have until have two years to figure it out, but but no new things just out of the blue. But there's no definitive. Well, I guess that's this is to your point. There's no definitive procedure as to how that goes in right now because nobody is releasing that new product after August the 8th to yes. to set the precedent there. Right. And that was the reason for the mad dash to get all of these covert cigars into the marketplace by August the 8th, at least no. in some limited fashion. See, I was, I was making the assumption and I, I thought I, I think I'm right though. I'm not the expert in this. I thought that if a product was coming out and its intention was to no longer be sold after August the 8th, 2018, that it wouldn't have to be going through this process over the next two years until that date. I thought then that what was would one be of the point of hurrying to get, What would be the point of hurrying to get things out by August the 8th? The intention to be able to keep selling them after 2018. I don't think so. Maybe you and I didn't discuss this. I Maybe pre two pre February two thousand seven, all grandfathered in. If you can was sold by then, or you can fulfill whatever yet to be uh, substantial equivalence to something that existed before then. After February two thousand seven until August the eighth of this year, marketplace are deemed in the marketplace. They have the two year period. 
sorted out. And after that two years is up, they either got to get or take it out of the market. So, and what I'm saying is I thought there was option three, that something that came out now or something that came out two years ago, uh, in between that February 15th, 2007 to August 7th, 2016, something that came out in that, that butter zone of nine years, roughly nine and a half years, um, that those products they have two years. If they were to no longer be sold after 2018, there was no reason to go through that testing. So I thought the same took place for any product that came out after August 8th, 2016, if they also had no intention of selling it after 2018. I don't believe so at all. And I think, I think we're there until the process is better formalized. Hmm. Okay. I, I mean, I, I guess that that, the synopses that are out there, summaries that are out there, I should use that word. The summaries that are out there it, it would allude to that. The more you read of the, the the actual documents, I thought, man, we didn't have a conversation about this, that there was this third option, and it would fit perfectly now with Michael, that if he wanted to get him through to have income for the next two years, he could do that, understanding that those cigars could no longer be sold. No, I think they legal. needed to be in the market by August the 8th. Huh. But if the FDA is not requiring anyone to pass along that, that information prior to, or to obtain their approval, let's say, let's just use a very generic term, prior to 2018... How could someone come out with a new cigar now? No, they, when they are requiring that of new products. They're not requiring it for products that were existing as of August the 8th of this year. They have a two-year grace period, so to speak. I'm not explaining myself well enough. I understand your point, but I think that there is further information. I think that, that you can go deeper into this to find an additional option. That Maybe that's what I'm saying here. Not maybe that's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. And maybe okay. I'm wrong, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see the pathway to introduce a brand new brand and line of cigars for the next two years. Hmm. All right. Well, huh? never mind. The point I was going to make was is that's his filler income until after this whole process is less of an unknown and people truly understand the financial burdens and companies in 2018 would then be able to take him on once they know what their budget and expected uh, expenditures would be for fiscal year 2019. So, but it might yeah. be a moot point if what you're saying is correct. I thought that there was this additional option though. I don't think so. I don't think you can just launch a new cigar right now. It's never been in the market. This is the last thing I'll say. Any cigar you launch right now would need to immediately f fulfill its requirements under the assumption that that cigar would also be sold after that drop dead date of August 8th, 2018. If it wouldn't be, that's what I'm saying. I don't think you can just, I don't think you can just say, I want to introduce something, but I have no plans of doing it after August of 2018. 
Well, I don't think that, I mean, uh, how do I put this? The precedent being that you don't need to tell them that that's what I'm going to do because it's not going to have any legal ramifications since you will not be doing something illegal on August 9th, 2018. You'll cease. You know what I'm saying? But Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think that's possible. Well, then that's the, that's the potential answer there. It's just not possible. I am wrong. I don't know. I don't have the capital to start a new cigar either way, so it doesn't really impact me directly. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Well, yeah, and uh, we've successfully filled enough. We're almost at an hour recording, so... Whew. Man, I'm, I'm glad that I... Uh, <laughs> But I talked in circles for 10 minutes that brought us back to our minimum time requirement as mandated by the sponsors that Will's going to get his cut up. <laughs> well, since we have kicked this thing around, there are actually two stories that I wanted to mention that I caught through social media feeds this past time period since our last show that came out of half wheel. And first one being just a very short snippet, the other being something I think you want to talk a little more about. Um, first was that this uh, this little town, this boondog town in Utah called Garland, which is an hour or so outside of Salt Lake City, has gone uh, above and beyond the normal call of the law in speaking of tobacco bans. And in their parks, they have banned not just the use, but the possession of tobacco products, including e-cigarettes. Even <laughs> I, I stared at that story for a while, not not really, not getting it. I'm like, what? what? I, I didn't know how to respond to that. Hmm. We can, you know, it's been banned. Usage has been banned in half the dang country at this point, but. Tobacco being just seemed like a, a brave new world. You know, I uh, I don't know. I don't know really what to keep saying about stories uh, of this nature. I, I mean, it seems to me that you know, critical mass has been reached. We are. We are at the point when anti-tobacco legislation is the norm. We're going to keep seeing it, and it's going to continue to be baffling. I, I think it was San Jose. Gosh, three, four years ago, San Jose. Didn't they have a, a law that went into effect that said, in your own personal home, if it is an attached dwelling? Yeah, that was Bellflower, California. Bellflower? Okay. I, for some reason, I thought San Jose. You I don't know where that's at. It may be near San Jose. I don't know. You can't consume tobacco in your own home, which you own. Not just a rental, like an apartment. Your right. owned property. That, that That's, yeah. I mean, that was, to me, that was the jump of the shark moment for legislation. Make the product <laughs> illegal. Don't make its consumption illegal. It's, it's just ornerous and ridiculous that that was the jump the shark moment critical mass we're going downhill we're just going to keep collecting these ridiculous stories of which this is another one um but i this just seems silly there has to have been some precedent set which 
uh, required this to be passed? I mean, is it a, a, a board member, a village board member uh, hates tobacco because an ex-spouse was a user and they think it's that disgusting? I mean, this has just got to be an emotional response because there's no logic in this. Why? Why would you yeah. say that the possession <laughs> of it is a problem? It, it, it does not make sense. I don't know. I don't even know why these things surprise me anymore. They still do. I. Uh, it's really quite maddening. Uh, maddening in the the um, crazy sense, not maddening in the frustration sense. Um, I, I just my head spins. It's just illogical. It's just illogical. Mm-hmm. What I mean, really. What are you accomplishing that you can't have something in your pocket? And if an officer comes up to you out of suspicion because they see you playing with a lighter and so therefore they think that you have something, are they going to to demand that you turn out your pockets and then you're going to have to pay a fine? Uh, What is that accomplishing? It's the stop and frisk. I was going to say they see something in your pocket and they think it's a cigar, but this is a family-friendly show, so I won't go there. (laughs) But I, I just, I'm, uh, I'm blown away. Yeah. Don't eat it. You know, and in full disclosure, my first reaction to this story when I read it in the notes earlier was, well, you know what? I can't necessarily find a lot of fault in that because I have been saying um, for years, make it illegal. Make the, the acquisition of tobacco and the possession of tobacco illegal. Stop collecting the taxes on it. Say that this is, if you truly mean that this is for health, make it illegal. Outlaw it. Stop its product from being available. But this is a different story. This is not that. And so I did an about face and realized that this is not somebody trying to, to get rid of tobacco from our lives. This is somebody who, who has an illogical response to, interpreting interpreting the consumption of a legal product i'm uh i can only say i'm blown away so many times i guess yeah yeah (sighs) well that leads us to the final story the second one that i mentioned from half wheel that that craig has alluded to a number of times uh in the past hour uh, where uh, Charlie Minato over at uh, Half Wheel posted an editorial uh, where he's collected some of his thoughts about the factors that are going to influence pricing changes that may be or should be or could be coming you know, down the pike stemming from the regulation that, that we've been talking about. Some good insights into a few things that, that – Many manufacturers, in particular, some of the smaller, newer manufacturers, may be overlooking or or haven't really delved into enough to to see what's going on. And you know, and he also outlined a few potential pitfalls that could come about from any knee-jerk reactions to you know, either the regulation or other manufacturers' existing responses to the regulations. And it's it's definitely worth a read. I'll I'll put a link in the notes also. Uh, to, to that uh, so folks can check it out but it's a it's kind of a lengthy article but it's worth checking out for reading through um, well I, I, I've got uh, a number of things to share 
or to, to respond to, I guess, with this. Um, first and foremost, I'll, you know, um, disclose right away that we at Half Ashed have over the years expressed uh, some frustration with Half Wheel and Charlie, um, probably going back early on to some of the discussions when we were still tied to Cigar Federation um, and some of the mentions of our podcast and Sig Fed uh, as a as a, an overreaching, overruling body. Um, and then those ties to House of Emilio, so on and so forth at that point. Um, so that, I'll put that out there. Secondly, um, if Charlie was a friend of mine, um, of which he isn't, we just, I don't think I've ever even shaken his hand. Um, I, I would say this to him in this manner. He's a freaking idiot. Charlie, you're a moron. And the reason why you're a <laughs> moron is a very good reason. And it's good for you. This is a compliment, believe it or not. Um, I have not seen as comprehensive of an outline as to the timeline, the backing uh, factually of, of everything moving forward from a manufacturer or a brand owner's perspective um, written so succinctly and completely as what he's put together in this editorial. I think it's a beautiful piece of work. I'm not going to say that it's without flaw, but what it is is the best example I've seen of essentially a roadmap uh, as to how um, a manufacturer or a brand owner should navigate these waters, uh, being a brand owner, what they should and shouldn't do, how they should consider um, the financial impacts of what's going on, the timeline of what's going on, what is fact, what is speculation, so on and so forth, so on and so forth. Excuse me. Charlie could have put this together as a preliminary consulting package for manufacturers and sold it to supplement uh, his income that's generated off of half wheel and 10 emu or 10 emu, whatever. Um, I think it's that good. So he's an idiot because he's giving away what could have been a source of income. Now, professionally, um, I don't think he's an idiot. Professionally, I think that this has a lot of journalistic integrity. I think that it's very well written. Um, he is a good writer. This is a, an article that not only has good facts, but it has flow. It's it's well written. It's not like some of the other very popular cigar blogs out there, um, of which I am not including uh, Cigar Coop. I think that Charlie's product here is written better than most. Um, I like Will, but I'm subjective. I uh, I'll go to Cigar Coop any day of the week, but. That being said, um, I, uh, I've read through a lot of this, and I think that there are, um, what do I say? There are a lot of things here that probably could have caused this article to not be released at this point. This article could have been written as an outline, and some of the items that are pointed out as being unfounded or unsubstantiated could or should have been evaluated further. This outline could have then um, become a rough draft of sorts that, that was in the process of being edited. Certain segments could have been discussed with representatives from the FDA or representatives from other manufacturers or brand owners, so on and so forth, to, to instead of just leave some of the open ends that are here, maybe this article is held for six more months. So that way, some of those answers that are just hypothesized 
could have been a little more substantiated. It's a great article. I think that it 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 maybe didn't do what it could have done on two fronts. It could have been used as a business venture, or it could have been used as a little bit more of a uh, uh, a well footnoted, well documented analysis on this whole process. There's still so many answers from the FDA that have not been given. That's why I feel that maybe it was slightly premature. Does that make sense? It does, and 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 he puts as much in, in the article that you know, these things are unknown. We don't don't really know what the actual cost, in particular, that the lab work is going to be involved. Where he <clears throat> makes some mention of a couple of companies he had talked to who have gotten quotes for lab work that range from fifteen hundred dollars to forty thousand dollars, which. I can understand that because I've spent the last 15 years before moving here dealing with labs a lot. And so if we needed soil samples analyzed, we use this lab because they did a better job at a better price. Or we needed groundwater. It was this one or whatever, because labs themselves are wildly varied, but it's not compounded by the fact that nobody knows what we even are. We, what manufacturers are even going to need to, they don't know the, the criteria. They don't know what even what sampling is going to be needed need to be done. What they don't know what they're testing for yet. They don't know, you know, what what's going to be what's going to differentiate between problems. It just too much is unknown about that in particular, and that could end up being the the, the largest component of the 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 increase in cost of being a manufacturer. What I think is. <clears throat> stellar about this article um, is twofold. One, the the very blatant, very um, obvious discussion of how costs will impact pre-2007 released products. So uh, I mentioned earlier um, the Macanudo Prince Philip. That's a cigar that's been around for decades. Um, it will continue to be around and it will continue to be a great seller. That's a product that he outlines essentially what the costs are going to be to put that product to market in 2018, um, to keep that product on market, I, I think is a more accurate term. I think he outlines that it's going to be a cost approximately based on his assumptions, which I think seem to be valid assumptions, of about $0.15 cents a cigar um, increase in cost. So you know, a box of 25, you're looking at what, uh, $4 roughly increase. And that's, you know, uh, gosh, a, uh, $140, $150 box. So you're adding, oh, what are you adding? Um, 10, 5%. 15%. 5%? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're adding 5%. Excuse me. Um, yeah, less than three to 5%, somewhere in that range. That's a very doable, very understandable cost increase. And quite frankly, it's not too terribly out of line with typical cost increases that we expect to see um, come January of most new years. We expect cost increases across the board. Um, And when they don't happen, it's sugar on top. And when they do happen, we say, well, it's the cost of doing business. So I can't can't necessarily say that Padron, Fuente, General, um, a lot of these brands that have been around for quite a long time uh, that their cost increases are going to represent a major loss in the industry. Um, That if it stays linear, that the products 
which have been around for that time will only rise what they have to rise, raise, I think is the proper term there, um, then we'll be in pretty good shape in a lot of cases. But he does hypothesize, most likely rightly so, in my opinion, that what larger brands are going to do is they're going to, to essentially amortize the cost increases on all their products, even the newer ones, across all their lines. And I don't necessarily know that that's the smartest business move, but at the same time, it it could be the easiest business move. And so some manufacturers deem it to be the smart business move because it's simpler. Simpler means less time. Less time means potentially less costs. We think that in the long run it would be, but. Yeah, and so some of those things that may be a little less profitable would just become loss leaders to try to attract more market share for other products. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's a it's a great article um, that, as I said, is not without fault, but it's the best attempt yet to outline and quantify cost increases and the reality of which we will all have to deal with. Uh-huh. Did you have any other, uh, it, it was something that you brought to my attention. I don't really peruse half wheel very much anymore. Um, I don't either, but I do get their updates through Facebook. And I'll feed, yeah. snag one that looks interesting when it comes through. Um, that's all right. I won't tell Will that it's one of your favorites on Firefox. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I know I'm a jerk. I have no idea if it is or not. I'm just being a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty wide ranging. Uh, <laughs> what uh, What are your thoughts on it? I know that I've kind of spewed some opinions, but uh, I'd love to hear your your take. Well, I, I think he's pretty well right on on how he divides up at least the potential costs amongst the other factors aside from the, the lab work, the testing, the proving what you're putting into the market. Uh, that's going to be the biggest chunk of of the expenditure in all likelihood, but there's going to be other costs as well, which in comparison will seem minor, but still will be significant where you're going to have more people to handle the paperwork. You're going to have more costs, not just directly with the labs, but with the affiliated work of handling all that data. Uh, There's going to be the uh, user fees, which had a little guidance published this week, uh, which are divvied up based on how much, a company's contribution to the federal excise taxes are. And just, I think that's a straight percentage. You know, if if this many dollars of cigar uh, revenue comes in from, from this, these taxes, there is X percentage, then you're going to pay X percentage of whatever it costs the FDA to, to uh, propagate this, this regulation. And, and so that, could actually end up being pretty significant. It won't be as big maybe as having all this testing done on individual Vitolas that you want to sell, but uh, there's the packaging changes, which never ever seem to go smoothly in this industry. And, you know, people can't seem to get packaging nailed down uh, to a science. There just seems to be too many variables there. Uh, We're going to have the addition of warning labels that are going to cover 30% of the major surfaces, which means, top of the box, the inside cover of the box when it's open is going to have to have 30% coverage from these randomly rotating uh, um, warning labels. You're going to have to have overhead associated with that. You're going to have to have people 
internally that manage these kinds of things. There, there even has to be a written program, which I detest because I've had to manage many dozens of written programs, and they're just a pain in the backside uh, just to, to keep them under control and just the silly reporting you have to do to, to our government. Um, there's always more overhead than you could imagine comes along with, with these kinds of programs. And another thing he points out that I guess I certainly wasn't unaware of it, but hadn't really considered uh, the uh, what it means, what it's going to entail is, is are the legal fees, the lobbying fees where in all likelihood these guys are going to have to do a lot of work with lawyers, which is not cheap, and lobbyists are definitely not cheap. And if you're going to try to to keep uh, keep a voice within the government for the future, um, uh, and they never get any cheaper, and they're already outrageous. Um, so I'm just kind of scrolling down, hitting the the points here in this article, and and you know it's just point after point of what what this means, and I guess one of the driving things that pushed him maybe to put this article together was the fact that a few companies have already announced an increase. General Davidoff and, uh, oh, dang it, who's the third? Padrone, uh, which is the second increase for this year. And that's that's a rare thing to have two in a year's time. But they've been attributed to increased regulatory costs and how, how they figured up how much to increase at this point. I don't, I don't know. And with so many unknowns out there, I don't expect there to be too many uh, companies that say they're going to absorb this. There's some that are already doing a lot of talking about it, but I, I don't know how, what that's going to look like for a company to think they can absorb the cost. I, don't, I think they're underestimating what the cost increase is going to be to just running a cigar factory these days. You know, I... Uh... I really should have a solid conversation with a couple of the manufacturers that I've got a good relationship with. I, I'm really interested to find out if anybody has any opinions here other than a holding pattern. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many, I mean, I don't know that there's a good basis. There's a good set of data to really have much more than a holding pattern at this point. Pause. Has it been pushed through and nobody knows enough about them and I'm when I say nobody I'm saying our government who propagated these things don't know what it's going to take to enforce them or even interpret them they there's still so many gray areas there's not any you know, the way this normally works they publish uh, white papers interpretations of a regulation and I haven't seen any of that kind of thing coming out yet where you know there's some informal some talk on the uh, conference calls they've had and whatnot of where somebody has a question well the regulation says this does what i'm doing for for this meet that requirement and so far it's only been verbal i don't think they've published official interpretations for these kinds of things and that's all going to have to happen um, and that takes a lot of time and on based on the fda's history i don't think time is on our side Well, that's – there's a song in there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, not a very good one. I don't like that song. <laughs> um, oh, where was I going? Doggone it. I brought up a 
That, that's not the Doors. Who the heck is that? And I'm not talking about the Pink Floyd song. Uh, you know what? It already distracted me away from what the heck I was going to say. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to know anymore. Never mind. Rolling Stones. Okay, no, I, I'm not going to get distracted again. Well, it, I guess the takeaway here is that this article is worth a read. There is a lot of great stuff in it, and there's not a lot of bad stuff in it at all. I, I really don't um, – as I said, I'm not commenting regarding facts. I'm not the expert on it to state that some of the numbers are or are not correct. But um, – I would love to see a follow-up on this perhaps once more information or once any information is really updated or I don't even know if we can say finalized because we're probably not going to see that for quite some time. But once additional follow-up has been done um, uh, where facts can be concerned. so Yeah, and, and I think one of the takeaways from this to remember is not it's not a secret. It's not something that is vague is, is the fact that the grandfathered products are going to have relatively small impact. They're not going to have a lot of the requirements. They're not going to have a lot of these increased costs, but think of the sheer volume of cigar companies and brands and lines that have hit the market in the past nine years, uh, in the past five years. It's, it, yeah. And those are predominantly very small companies that are not going to be able to fit the bill for you know, tens of thousands of dollars to keep something in the marketplace that they may make $10,000 off in a year's time. If you're, uh, doable. if you're a, uh, a junior lab tech who's got an eye for cigars or a heart for cigars, is there a, is there business to be had here to essentially create a startup that will do this testing for uh, cheaper and become an expert at strictly this? Does that uh, could could that do something more than just make yourself a quick buck, but maybe uh, allow the industry an opportunity to have more freedom than it otherwise would have? Yeah, it, this <laughs> the the interplay between regulation and labs is kind of funny. I I took over a a large cleanup project where the groundwater and soil was contaminated with arsenic. Uh, pressure treated lumber operation that ran for decades without a drip pad. So they treated lumber, oh. they pushed it over and it dripped on the ground for decades. And so there was a lot of arsenic in the ground. And, <clears throat> and midway through the project, the, uh, the regulation changed where you had to clean up to 50 parts per million before. And the new standard was 10. Oh. None of, there were no, oh. no labs. There were no labs that could test to say this is below 10. It didn't exist. The technology was not there at that time to test that, but it was a requirement. You had to prove you were below that limit, but technology didn't exist to test it. And so the world was in limbo for years until it came around to work. It. That's how our government functions. Jeez. It's, it's <sighs> What, what was the uh, what was the result on that? The existing labs, real quick, able were able to test to that accuracy, or did new? No, labs it, it took it took a couple of years before they had the technology to be able to do it. Hmm. 
Ay, ay, ay. I have a lot of stories about this particular facility. <laughs> Some, some I can't say without risk of other people going to jail. Oh, jeez. I don't, you know what? I don't need to hear anymore, I think. Probably better if I don't. Not me. I, I was legit and legal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I, I was happy to see this because it gave a little bit, it, it broke away from the monotony of a lot of the FDA news. Um, this was this was good information and certainly great fodder. So yeah, yeah, and like I said, I'll include a link. I, I have been very delinquent in posting shows. I, I hopefully will get caught up soon. <laughs> there will be a link to this in the the notes. I put a link in the chat room too. Well, tell me a little bit about this cigar before we jump on to what else we've been smoking. Well, you know that's a. That's a damn good uh, thing that I should have been considering before now. Um, <laughs> so my wrapper, uh, where I had the, the flaw maybe an inch below the band, um, closer to the foot of cigar and then just to the side, it continued. And I don't exactly know how. Maybe it was just for my fondling it in, my, uh, in between my uh, pointer and index, or index and middle finger, but it continued to rip a little bit. So I took... A section of the wrapper off and I'm now just smoking it mostly uh, with binder only um, I didn't notice a huge change I will say that I uh, I have less of a spicy um, retrohale it was never a an abrupt or a difficult retrohale to handle but um, at this point it seems as if it's it's smoothed out a touch um, I'm getting more pepper on my soft palate um, soft palate and back of my tongue than I was previously. And I don't know if that's attributed to, again, the loss of the wrapper or just the transition of the cigar solidly in the second, third. But um, I, I, uh, I like the cigar. I think that it's progressing well. I don't think that it's worth 1050 as of yet. And, you know, it's been sitting for a year and a half, two years. No, oh, more than that, two and a half years. This was an early... 2014 yep. release, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Aprilish, somewhere around there. Yeah, um, it doesn't feel as if it's really extremely well rounded. It still seems to have um, what I would have said were were some edges, maybe. Not that it's an edgy or a difficult cigar to uh, pass along to a newer smoker, but it just doesn't seem as if it started to meld as much as I would have expected it to. That's probably my takeaway at this point. The flavors aren't incredibly different. Maybe there's not as much of the smoky minor flavor that was there earlier. Um, the citrus is still very minor. The minor brown sugar sweet aroma, um, that's that's uh, still there as well. But I haven't, I haven't really noted a lot of other variations. Yeah, same here. And actually, the tasting notes you just gave, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, throughout, except I'll throw in there too, uh, with a couple of caveats. One being that I typically am a Corona Robusto kind of guy. I don't smoke many Churchills. There was a time I did, but and this one is Churchillish, and it's a little bit bigger than what I typically reach for. So it, it fatiguing. 
to smoke this much cigar with, without some kind of bigger development. It's like it, it, I've, I've been smoking, and I, I can't say this nicely, but I mean it because I, I do like this cigar. I enjoy the cigar. But if this cigar was in a smaller format, I think I'd like it even better. But, you know, I'm down, I'm still smoking this thing incredibly fast. Just over three inches left, a little bit more. Wow. And so, yeah, I've smoked four inches of it. So if this were a Robusto and it was time to put it down, I would be good. But I think, and I will, um, it's going to be, it's going to create a little bit of fatigue on the palate. And no, you don't have to smoke the whole cigar. But these days, I tend to smoke the whole cigar every chance I get. Hmm. I can understand that. You know, I'd imagine that uh, if you blow out through a cigar, really purge it well when you set it down, you could probably relight the next day. I can't imagine that you've got too terrible of, uh, of an environment out there if you keep something in the ashtray. I absolutely do. I, that's exactly what I do. Almost every morning, I light up whatever it was from the day before. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I um, I, I like the cigar. It's not it's not a bad cigar, but I I think I'm with you. I don't need um, seven inches of a forty nine ring uh, for two hours. I I just I just don't. I, it's I'm with you. I like petite Coronas and smaller. Um, I just wish that maybe this was two cigars rather than one yeah. large one, but that's all right. Well, what else you been smoking? Well, I've, uh, I think I have one in here. And I was, hey, you have a long list of one cigar. <laughs> and I was trying to remember what the second cigar is that I've smoked since our last recording. Because I know there was another one, but um, I will share some interesting thoughts on a cigar that I've smoked a few times in the last year or so, um, and I don't think I've talked about very much. But I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts and to kind of get into this a little bit. But um, I think that I'm finally able to formulate an opinion about the My Father Connecticut. Um, this is a passable Connecticut. You you get the characteristics of the Connecticut wrap, that sharpness, that slightly vegetal, crisp flavor that, I, frankly, I think that I just um, bored myself with in the first 10 years or so of smoking. Um, I don't love that anymore, but the cigar has enough going for it that it's it's enjoyable. I don't think that I would ever reach for this. Um, I don't think that I'm going to crave the Connecticut flavors that I get in this cigar to reach for it. But what I am going to do is enjoy the other aspects of it, uh, of which I think uh, a, a very enjoyable, but very common brown sugar sweetness is there it's there in spades but this comes with the typical sharpness from the connecticut wrapper that you often see with a brown sugar um heavy profile i like it i i don't think i'm going to want to pay for it on a regular basis but it's a good connecticut for people who don't love connecticut's does that make sense it does yeah 
I'm right there with you. The, the, and I think that's a good point with the, the flavors of the, the blend internally sound like something that would clash, but they don't really clash it, but it makes it more, it's a condiment cigar. It's not what you want for dinner every day, but hmm. sometimes uh, to spice things up a little bit or a little bit of a, uh, a distraction, it's, it's a good thing. You know, and I, I'm not a huge change of pace guy. Somebody who wants a cigar um, regularly just because it's different. I, I like change of pace cigars, but I like them because I like them, not because I need a palate cleanser of a cigar or a transition of my typical smokes. You know, I, I, um, I appreciate something that can be different, but I don't think that I want different for different sake repeatedly. Um, the same different for different sake repeatedly. If I'm going to have a palate cleanser, I'm not going to only reach for this cigar. I'm going to reach for this cigar yeah. and I'm going to reach for, uh, Lysia black. I mean, that's a, that's a change of pace for me. If I ever want to burn my tongue off, you, you know, I'm going to reach for a pipe. Uh, what, what was that? Hey, you and the Lysia black. No, but I mean, I you, still you know like what I mean? Well, somebody's always got to be wrong in a discussion. I understand that. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? Like, if I want something that's a little bit different from the norm, I will reach for something that's different from the norm. I'm not going to reach for the norm that's just different from my other cigars. You know, like, I, I don't – this cigar makes me realize that, that I don't just want to change up my regular smoking profile that I prefer – with something else regularly. I want to change up my regular smoking profile or routine with something that's a completely different item. And this just could fall under that, but I, I'd rather smoke a pipe with any number of different tobaccos that I have for that. Or, excuse me, I'd rather smoke a Cuban cigar or an extremely um, old-school Nicaraguan cigar, something that's not necessarily the the new school flavors that we're getting from this uh, Angel's Anvil. So, you know, it's it's just kind of a oh, damn hiccups. Oh, sorry, Ian. He's got a child with him. I shouldn't have said that. Um, huh. it's, you, it's, you actually phased out for a second. I didn't even hear what you said. Oh, good. Okay. Well, it wasn't that bad. Um, I, I just... Uh, I don't dislike the cigar, but I think I've realized enough that it's just one of those that I'll have and enjoy, but I don't want it around. Uh, there's other change of pace sticks that suit me better. Yeah, I can understand that. So, and I, I honestly, I think that it's because, oh, and now Ian left the conversation. I see that. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that's like it's like Will leaving when I told him he owed a third of uh, uh, of our uh, hosting fees. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's a good Connecticut if you're going to smoke a Connecticut. I've just had too many Connecticut's over the years to where I don't want that crispness 99 times yep. out of 100 anymore. So, right. Somehow I keep trying them. Oh, the, the My Father Connecticut? You keep trying it? No, no, no. Connecticut's in general. Oh, oh I gotcha. There was a time I really liked them, but uh, that was long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. You know, I I think 
15 years ago, the industry didn't so much say this is a Connecticut. The industry said this is a natural. They did. Absolutely. That's true. And I think naturals could have been Connecticut shade. Naturals could have been Habano, especially after 2000 when the Habano 2000 was all the rage with Altidus. Um, a natural. It's just rapper. The asbestos wrapper for a year and a half. It could have been a Cameroon in some cases. It could have been any number of different things. You know, yeah. before you saw people really come out and say, oh, this is a sun-grown. So we have a natural Maduro and a sun-grown. It was light and dark. Uh-huh. And that was pretty much it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Candela or a Claro, Claro for some people, but not too many not too many manufacturers had a Claro and a natural. Right. Some did, no doubt, but I don't know. Well, let's see. I got a couple on here. One was the uh, EP Curio Cardinal Maduro from Zedman, who's in now in the chat room as of a few minutes ago. Um, he sent me a nice little care package while I was in the States, and in, including this cigar, which has got a couple of years on it now. Um, and I recalled, you know, being okay with a cigar. I had a couple of them, a few of them maybe when they came out, but they didn't really do much for me at the time. But I, I really like this one. It, and I'm not going to say it changed my life. I'm not going to go, you know, pile up a handful of boxes of them and sit on them for any amount of time. But it was much better than I remembered. And the reason was when I think back to when these came out, they were – they were sharper, like you were just describing that Connecticut wrapper. These were had a sharp, a, a crispness to them that that wasn't at all in this one. It was very toasty, uh, and that uh, charred marshmallow kind of toasty uh, flavor to it that that was pleasurable for me. And the construction was unbeatable. The thing just burned like a dream. Um, really dug it. Had a, a good time with it. And you know again. It, didn't change my life, but it was dang sure worth the, the time. I liked it. And the other was this year's uh, Oktoberfest from Quesada, which I think I put a picture up in the forum of this one. Uh, actually, both of these, but uh, I, I made some notes that I keep trying these every year, hoping for a repeat of the 2011 blend, which was uh, a an upper echelon cigar for me. I mean, that, that blend was just as good as it gets for me. I loved it. And at the time I didn't realize that it was going to be something they just frequently change and change a lot. Um, and even one of their reps told me last year that the various Vitolas within that offering were tailored to be paired with different drinks and that they were very different blends. And I didn't explore them because I didn't at all care for the 2015 that I had. I mean, at this point, without digging through Instagram, wouldn't even remember which one it was. But um, although the 2016 was not a repeat of 2011, it was very good. It, it was very different, but it was still, it was a good cigar on its own merits. Um, had a little more, Oomph, a little more kick, a little more spice than what I typically have found in the Oktoberfest. Um, uh, so I put in the notes, it had a solid dose of pert spice. It, it was peppy, uh, but not 
not overpowering. It was it was sedated. It, it, for an, if if somebody had given me this and said it's a Nicaraguan cigar, I would say this is very much on the lighter, less spicy end of Nicaraguan offerings. But as a Dominican cigar, it's kind of the opposite. It's a little much more spicy than I would think of, you know, hypothetically of, of what comes out of the Dominican Republic uh, as a overly broad generalization. Um, but I still miss that thing 2011 a lot. <laughs> well, I guess weren't you a fan of the, uh, what is it, the 2010 Oliva Maduro? Serie B Maduro? Yeah. The, I think it was 2010. The first, 2010 or 11, the first uh, first year they put that out in a Toro when it changed from the, the Torpedo or the Belicoso to, uh, to a Toro. Actually, um, there haven't been many of those uh, Oliva Serie V Maduros that I haven't liked. I've dug every year of those, with the exception of 2014 and 15. They put them out as 6x60s, and I didn't even bother buying them, just because I'm that guy. <laughs> well, I uh, – gosh, what the heck was I just going to say? Um Ah, crap. What the heck was I going to say? Oh, well. Uh, something about the Oktoberfest. Imagine it was incredibly insightful and, and humorous. Yeah. Would have completely okay. turned the show around. <laughs> uh, I clicked over to your video when you said that. And if the words weren't obvious, you pretty much gave me a verbal middle finger with that comment. Or, uh, uh, a visual middle finger with my, that comment. I was looking for my lighter. I have two lighters here both of which are nearly out of fuel, and I'm getting a little perturbed with the both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, have found the other cigar that I wanted to talk about this show, and I have to say, it is the perfect additional cigar for me to talk about because it is another Connecticut. No. It is the Padron Damaso, or Damaso. I don't know where the accent is. I don't either, right off the top of my head. Uh, it's just, it, I have to say, um, I'm sure I'm going to eat crow because I don't remember exactly how I phrased my disdain for Connecticut cigars, but I will buy this Damaso. I will enjoy this Damaso. And I have to say, it doesn't hide the fact that it's a Connecticut it just pairs very, very well with the typical Padron core of flavors that's in here. Um, and I think that that's probably what it has going for it more than the My Father. The My Father, it, I feel like it's a slightly different core of flavors than the typical My Father line. It's similar, but it's different. The Padron feels to me as if it, what you get is the essence of the the Padron core lines. You get that, that deeper, darker um, coffee, cocoa, uh, beanie flavors with that Connecticut in, uh, flavor enveloping that core, and it works very well. My takeaway from the Damaso is that it needs, it's a mild cigar that needs to age. These things are, are good now. They're too sharp now. If they settle down a little bit, it's going to be that River Rock analogy that I've used so many times. 
there's a lot to it, and that sharpness needs to needs to calm. It needs to soften a little bit, and then once it's there, it's going to be the the acid that balances out a richer meal. You know, it's it's going to be that sharpness that's great for that typical padrone rich core of flavors that you get in their uh, their core line profiles. I I really like this cigar. It's expensive. Over $10, pretty much no matter the Vitola you pick up. Um, but it's it's great. It really is a good cigar. I recommend them. I've had a number of Vitolas, um, all young. I've smoked almost all of them out of the box within a month or two. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced after probably a dozen or so samples that uh, they need to probably sit. I'd probably let them sit for a year, year and a half to be at what I'd expect to be a better um, prime for them. I have no idea how long-term aging is going to be. I I wouldn't necessarily um, categorize this cigar as one that would uh, be ideal for it, but I do think that it would be ideal to rest and round out a little bit. Gotcha. I can dig it. You haven't had them yet, have you? I did. I had one of them. Long ago, at this point, a month or more, a month or months ago, early on, and I actually bought it here, and I still don't know how the shop is getting these Nicaraguan cigars here, but they're getting them somehow. Well, maybe it can be another story you share in five years about the uh, backhanded <laughs> illegal activities that you were aware of but played no part in. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I bought you some cigars. I didn't buy you any Damaso, but since you can get them there, now I won't. But they I have one Vitola. What and is it? I don't know specifically. My memory says it was Corona Gorda ish. It was somewhere that's, that's my favorite of the line. Okay. Um,. I have not had, there's a large one that I have not had, but I've had the Bellicose or the Torpedo, and that Corona Gorda is definitely better than that. Um, I bought you, what did I buy you? Um, Because I didn't think that I would ever see it again. The, um, uh, uh, The Casa Magna. What was the special release Casa Magna? Like five years ago, six years ago, Casa Magna. Well, there I don't know what special release. Domus, yeah, not, not Domus Maximus. Domus Magnus was one of them. Yeah, Domus Magnus. I found Domus Magnus when I was in Seattle at a shop. Oh, cool. So, yeah, the um, they put out a Domus Magnus too. Also, I this was. I don't believe this was the two. I think the two was. Is a different Vitola. Um, yeah, similar, they have, a little bit different size. They have spun off some oddball Vitolas that were named after Roman emperors that had odd profiles and other, uh, uh, like literal profile, the uh, cross section, odd shapes and whatnot, too. They'd spun a few things off of that line. But yeah, that original one was, I loved it. I, I'm uh, not incredibly well versed in that original line, but if I recall correctly, recalled correctly this was the original release of it 
Sweet. That was my favorite by yep. no small margin. Yeah. So one of these uh, times when we ever exchange again, I, I think we still got quite a few cigars that we've exchanged yeah. back and forth. We do with our erratic schedule. We've got a long yep. period of time covered. Well, but uh, just thought I'd share that. I was thinking awesome. about you when I was there. Muchísimas gracias. Uh, not. Well, we're uh, we're probably getting pretty close here. What uh, what sort of closing words do we have on this bad boy? I don't think I have too many more, just because I put it down right after we last spoke about it, and I'll fire it up tomorrow evening, I suppose. Oh, all right. It uh, it was not treating you poorly due to the accelerated burn. No, no, it never never suffered what you would normally think of of something that's being over buffed. It, it didn't get excessively harsh. It wasn't bitter. It wasn't ashy. It, it behaved. It did well. Well, I am at uh, four and a half, four and three quarter inches. Um, I Maybe if I'm looking for a variation, I'm getting a little bit more cocoa out of this. There's a minor chocolatey flavor that's popping in. Um, it's not overly sweet. That's kind of why I'm thinking cocoa, but it's also not sharp, which I often attribute to cocoa. When I say cocoa versus chocolate, I typically mean that that bitter cocoa powder type flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not getting that bitterness or that Cacao. sharpness with it. Cacao. But it's also not a, a sweet chocolatey flavor. Um, maybe it's a dark chocolate that's not a high uh, percentage. Um, but it's somewhere right in the middle there. It's not in spades, uh, but it's, it's a minor transition if I'm looking for transitions and it's improving. But quite frankly, if this thing doesn't continue to modify or be anything different, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna probably put it down. It's, uh, I don't need to smoke a seven inch cigar because it's seven inches. I need to smoke a seven inch cigar because I enjoy all of it. Um, and I, you know, I'm not not enjoying the cigar. I'm just not loving it um, in its present uh, state, I guess. Nah, I can dig it. Yes, sir. Well, we uh, I think we're probably both on the same uh, page with this. A good cigar, not a great cigar. Nothing really that we need to experience again. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. At this point, I do think I enjoyed it much better two years ago. And I haven't smoked one in nearly that long, I guess. Hmm. Well, it, uh, it's a cool band to yep. get into the, the old Colin Ganley um, stereotypes that he used to uh, espouse upon the Dog Watch listeners. It's blue with gold and some cream. And it actually looks good. And I don't know of another, uh, I don't know of another uh, cigar band that's blue that I think looks so good. The El Baton, but El Baton's blue, Pepin Garcia blue, and I saw oh, yeah, a I guess. trend that this year's show there was far more blue packaging than I've ever seen in my life. No joke. Huh. I remember Bob McDuffie saying blue cigars, blue blue bands don't sell cigars, but there was a bunch of them this year. Oh, maybe it was Bob, not Colin. I thought it was Colin, but well, I you know the only other thing, as I'm looking at this cigar, the band seems to have the uh, the markings of um, uh, being a Freemason. 
with some other things on here. Is that? It does. Yep. It looks like it. I see a, a square and a compass, a couple of compasses. Variation too, at least. Any, uh, I am putting you on the spot, but any reasoning for the, the graphics on here that you're aware of? I don't recall. I just remember the, the mythology that came along with it. Hmm. Interesting. Probably should have looked into that a little bit sooner, but I guess I don't really smoke cigars for the bands. You, on the other hand, are a sucker. <laughs> just once. Yeah, yeah. So you're a sucker and Charlie's an idiot. That's my takeaway from tonight. Man, I am making friends. But he's a good kind of idiot. He's a smart idiot. Oh, yeah, he's a great idiot. But, you know, in this regard, still an idiot. <laughs> Well, it looks like we have a special show next time. With yeah, a special well, cigar. You'll uh you will have to uh make that determination on your own. Next week we're going to have another gargantuan cigar. This is uh something that I hope you like. It's definitely going to be different and I think it's going to be completely unexpected um for you. This is the Cohiba Bahike. Um, these are the 56, which is the largest of those three Batolas that the Bihike has been released in. Um, and it's not just a Bihike. This is, uh, we'll call it a pre-release. Um, these are from early on. So I think uh, 2010, May or June of 2010 was their first release. This was um, This was from some of the early ones off the bench from a very trusted, very well-known um, supply. I believe from March 2010 was when this was uh, procured, if I recall correctly. So, got some age on it. It's an interesting cigar. Beautiful wrapper to it. Really lovely construction in uh, all of these that I had. But, I am not fully convinced that this isn't a variation to the blend. It may have been prior to things being 100% finalized. It uh, may have been just a, a poor batch in terms of consistency. But all of my experiences with these cigars that we're going to smoke are that they are slightly different than um, the, the regular production that you're going to find now. So I'll be interested in getting your take on it and uh, certainly interested in sharing the experience with with our listeners. So cool. now I had, uh, I'm sure I've talked about it on the show and I know I've mentioned it in the chat room, but um, we have, I have had uh, some of these original Bihikes with different wrappers on them. This is not one of those Bihikes. This is uh, the typical um, Cohiba wrapper. Uh, this is not one of the Connecticut's or Rosado's or Maduro Bihikes that, uh, uh, we had made in uh, the Dominican, so um, it'll be a it'll be a fun show. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Excelente, yes, sir. So well, I think that that brings us to the closing. Yeah, yeah. If you guys uh, would like to get in touch with us uh, between now and the next time, you can get us at Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com, or of course through all the typical social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the forum at halfashed.com. 
Well, com. <laughs> uh, tonight's show is um, a bit of a personal dedication to me. I uh, did not, on our last show, send a dedication out to the very worthy, very obvious memory of those uh, who are no longer with us uh, from the September 11th tragedies. Um, and that was that was not done accidentally. There's been uh, a fair bit going on with um, some people very close to me, and I unfortunately have to dedicate this show tonight to the Coster family, um, who lost their patriarch uh, recently. And it's now something that uh, has come to a close. All the all the regular activities when someone passes on have uh, concluded, and we have mourned, and we are very much remembering the loss of a very wonderful woman. Um, she, uh, the matriarch of that family, uh, is someone that impacted me, the mother of my best friend. And I want to make sure that if anyone ever in the Costa family does hear this, that they know that I sincerely do pass along my best to them. This show and anything that uh, I've brought positive to it certainly, uh, had that, uh, as a backing, as an inspiration. So, I want to make sure that they realize how special they were to me. And also any of the listeners that are out there, we say it every week and I mean it every week, but good night everybody. And thank you for listening. <laughs>